Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, State Farm, and WeatherTech. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb. Welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 168. And around our Keystone-shaped table in Studio C at MotorWeek World Headquarters, I am pleased to have with us writer-producer Ben Brian Robinson. Ben <laughs> Robinson. Brian Robinson. So glad to be here, no matter uh, what you call me. It's and on the other hand, Brian Davis. No, Ben Davis, our road <laughs> test producer. Ben Davis, no Same relation. Same here. Always a pleasure. Our online content coordinator, Greg Carlos. Uh, almost messed his name up, too. I am here and totally not tired. And by telephone, all the way from the sunny state of Florida, Lauren Morrison, our FYI reporter. Lauren? Hello. There she is. Okay, everyone, we've got a full slate to get through on this podcast uh, three vehicles to review, a special segment that Lauren's doing, uh, a lightning round, viewer question, rant and rave. So here we go. 2017 Mazda CX-5, second generation of Mazda's compact SUV. Um, pleased with it? Underwhelmed? A real contender now? What do you think? Um, I think they made huge improvements on the interior. Um, it's a lot closer to the CX-9. I guess the CX-9 was the one that came out first, so right. everything kind of just trickled down in. And it's a huge improvement there. Always been a great driving um, SUV. No difference here. If I had to complain about one thing, maybe the steering's a little bit too heavy for daily use. Uh, other than that, though, um, still solid, one of my favorite you know, considering that they really didn't tinker with the powertrain very much uh, and there's no turbo or anything, I think it's darn responsive. I mean, it does everything you want it to do. Uh, very impressed? Yeah, certainly not, you know, as modern powertrain as many of the others, like, as you mentioned. Uh, I've been in like three different ones, and I've only been in the Grand Touring trim, which, as Greg mentioned, the interior is borderline luxury car. Um haven't been in like a base model, so I'd be interested to see, uh, you know, exactly what they've done with that one. But oh, they did quiet it down. Materials are a lot nicer. Still fun to drive. Uh, it's Pretty definitely one of the too. best. Uh, really good looking car as well. When you were driving it, uh, it's got this, what do they call it, G-vectoring? Correct. Uh, system, drive mode system, which operates differently from most other systems. Instead of using uh, a front brake to vector torque back and, and forth, it actually cuts the ignition uh, on the engine momentarily. It cuts the spark. Right. uses uh, engine braking versus using the real uh, actual brakes. And it works well. I think everybody agrees with that. Now, the, the, I, l I was looking into the system. The reason they took that approach was actually a psychological one. They found through test that there was something about doing that that loaded up the occupants' brains that a change in direction of the vehicle or something was happening, and it actually made people more comfortable and the driver more comfortable when they came to a sharp corner where this system would activate than if you just used braking. It was like it went beyond just the mechanical. How do you do this mechanically to make it work, to make the vehicle handle better, uh, to load up the front tires before a corner, but also not to upset the occupants? I thought that was pretty ingenious myself. Yeah, some of the braking ones, they are, you know, a little upsetting if you, you know, when you can feel them engage. And then just the whole idea of using the brakes to help you go faster, uh, a lot of people can't uh, grasp, but... 
It's it was a very smooth system. You couldn't really feel it working, which and I that's guess is what I think they're pulling. Uh-huh. Um, utility wise, it's similar to before, but a little more rear leg room, a little bit more uh, rear cargo room. Or one did one suffer? I think the, the same cargo chassis. room is actually a little bit less. Yeah. Less cargo room, but a little bit more, more rear, rear leg room. Yeah. yeah, because they and you know they did use the same <laughs> chassis. And I know it we're is. always talking about oh, what, you know all new, but yeah. I'm not so sure what they did is any different than. A lot of other automakers do. They they may use that same basic uh, floor pan, but everything on it's new. So uh, I don't think they get uh, any marks uh, taken off for that. Um, their sales have finally started to wake up. They sold okay, but they weren't that special, and, and certainly nothing like you know CRV and Rav Four. But uh, last month they were up like twenty three percent, I think. So there, it seems like that the CR, the CX nine, this new CX nine is doing okay. Yeah, I think they for years they've hung their hat on being the most fun to drive and all that. But maybe they realize that's not the best. They need to appeal to more people. People really want. There's a very limited amount of people that really care about handling in an SUV. People really want comfort and space, so that's kind of the tack they're taking now. I have a question for Lauren. Lauren, you live in a state where. Most roads are straight, and most terrain yeah. is flat. When you uh-huh. get into the various SUVs that you test down there, yeah. how do you tell one from another? You've got good roads, no frost heaves, very few curves. I mean, what is it that in those kinds of conditions, because people out west in the U.S. have similar, what makes one vehicle stand out over another? I think kind of just like what Brian said is I typically go for, like, comfort for utility. Can I put a lot of groceries in it? It's more about, um, I guess, the interior than, per se, the drive. Are the seats comfortable? How are the passengers? How are the back? I, I don't think it's so much the drive down here. Just like you said, the roads, I mean, there's really not, from the top of the state to the bottom, there's really not much difference. You're just flat. And speaking of uh, comfortable comfortable SUVs, our next vehicle we're going to talk about is a trendsetter. I don't know how else to put it. The 2018 Buick Enclave. The uh, first Enclave uh, was the, the the miniature SUV that started the subcompact luxury SUV trend. Uh, they've now redone nice. it. Encore. Yeah, yeah. That's, that would be Encore. Yeah. Encore. Encore. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, the Enclave is the big one. Yeah, um, that's the Encore, and what we really want to talk about today <laughs> is the Enclave, which is what <laughs> Greg just got back from driving. Uh, I can't. I'm not dyslexic, but I can't read anyway. Well, they all sound the same. Uh, Encore, Enclave, Envision, Envision. Uh, well, you can't fault Maybe, an yeah, automaker now, now for, that I'm for about that. But anyway, I know just recently we did have an Encore, and we thought that was uh, a, a nice improvement, if not revolutionary. So here we have the Enclave, which, of course, is the second of this new generation larger uh, crossover utility from GM after the Acadia GMC. This one, though, is a bit longer. Uh, it's a bit posher. But did it impress you? Actually, yeah, it did. And I kind of came away as impressed as I was with the lacrosse. Going in there, somebody my age doesn't exactly get excited about a Buick. And I wouldn't say it's an exciting car, but it is a really comfortable SUV. 
Um, it looks a lot better. They've because the old one was kind of what was it like ten years old? Yes, yeah, so it was ten years on the market. And it, yeah. I mean that had gotten, it was a long time. Gotten sort of stale. Uh, they've updated styling. It looks much better. Really good looking from the rear. Inside, they've updated the interior. The whole dash area is actually really nice looking now. Um, they've avoided the trend of putting a screen like right on top of the dash, like an afterthought. So I applaud them for keeping it all kind of smooth and seamless across. Um, easy to use, uh, which is always good because they do sell to an older uh, customer. It's got to be easy to use. Um, they also have an Avenir trim, which is eventually mm-hmm. going to trickle down into other Buicks. That's really their high-end uh, trim level. They cut a couple of corners here and there. It's a nice presentation, but again, kind of like in other Buicks, you start feeling around. You'll feel hard plastics. Uh, Buick, though, has kind of admitted that this is attainable luxury. Uh, so yeah, they no don't order claim to do that, that. They're basically, um, they claim they're premium. Right. They're not going to be able to compete with a Mercedes or a BMW in terms of sure, sheer um, uh, quality and uh, it's poshness. It's not priced like them either. Right, exactly. So it's a little bit cheaper. Um, the powertrain's still uh, 3.6 liter V6. It's a torquey engine. It doesn't have a lot of horsepower, but it has plenty of torque. And that's good for, I mean, when you get away from a start, I mean, that's what you're looking for is a torque. New nine-speed transmission, which I think works really well. It doesn't get confused like a lot of other high um, uh, gear, or a lot of transmissions with high gears. Um, so, yeah, it's just uh, another thing is that it's it's a very comfortable and a crazy, crazy quiet interior. And I'm talking like mm-hmm. the, maybe the quietest car I've ever wow. driven. It's that quiet. I haven't driven the new one, but I used to own the first generation. And I I was a little disappointed they didn't stretch a little bit more as far as styling of the interior. But they obviously know their customer. I mean, here's a brand that you know, used to be all about big road mastering sedans, and now they're all about big road mastering SUVs. So they've they've made a transition. They made it successfully. Yeah, I was wondering about the Avenir, which uh, you already answered. Now, uh, interior-wise, do they still have the ice blue lighting, or do they finally get rid of that? They still uh, – no, that's a good question. I didn't really take notice of it, and up until about a year ago, I was, like, super against everything they did because they always – it was either the stitching or the lighting or something they would have. And I want to say, yes, it's still there, but Mm. the fact that I can't remember it, maybe it's just a little more subtle now. How did it drive? I thought it was great. I mean, they you you know what this SUV is. I we didn't drive it hard. I didn't drive it hard, but I drove it a lot on the highway and I drove it on various back roads, and it's just very comfortable. The car doesn't try to the, the I'm sorry, keep calling it a car. No, that's all right. They're all collected. They're pretty much. Yeah, cars, it so. doesn't. It doesn't try to be anything that it's not, and you got to applaud Buick for that because. They set out to make a comfortable driving SUV, and it's exactly that. And I was, I could certainly see myself taking a long road trip in this thing and being perfectly happy. And they obviously have taken their quiet tuning technology to new heights with it. Um, the, the it's funny that the first thing you mentioned was some of the hard plastics. I remember the very first uh, Enclave we tested. We were complaining that. The door pockets, which were hard plastic, had some rough edges, and I don't think that ever got corrected over the entire ten-year run of the yeah, car. If you try to put like a bottle or something deep down in the pocket, yeah. you will catch yeah. a little bit. But a nice improvement, and it's Enclave, everybody, not Encore. As a matter of fact, the Encore would almost fit in the back of an Enclave. 
Moving on to our next vehicle, the Honda Accord, and Lauren is the one on our staff who has had the most firsthand experience. Lauren, new Accord in an age of SUVs taking over the market. Is it a worthy successor, and will it have staying power? Yes, I think it will. I really like it. This is crazy. This is the 10th generation of the Accord. It's been, I think, a little over 40 years since the Accord really burst onto the scene in the U.S., um, and uh, they're really going all in with this. I mean, there was a lot of talk of, in this SUV world, what, what is the Accord, you know, is it going to make it? And I think on this press event, they were saying, you know, we're all in, and uh, we think it's going to it's one of our best sellers, um, and they really think that the vehicle is going to do well in sales. Um, I had a, There was a couple of engine options. I had the chance to get in both the 1.5-liter turbo, so they're going all in on turbos, um, Got the chance to get in that 192 horsepower, the most powerful base engine that an Accord has ever had in it. It was a really nice drive. Uh, we got you know to experience some winding roads in New Hampshire. Also got to get in the two-liter turbo, um, which is actually the same type engine that's in the Honda Civic Type R, but it's kind of been detuned a little bit. It's not as aggressive in the Type R. I think there's like 306 horsepower in the two-liter. Um, Turbo in the Accord, it's like 252 horsepower. It's got some unique pistons, a different turbo than the Type R. So there's been some other internal changes. It's just not as aggressive um, as the Type R, but I think it's still a great drive. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Also got a chance to get in. They have a manual option in the 2-liter turbo as well. That was really fun to drive at 6-speed. Um, so in terms of the drive, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was great. Obviously, 2-liter more powerful. Um, but the 1.5 base engine, I think you're going to be just fine. Definitely a, a more sporty Accord than we've seen in the past. Um, got things like grip shape, um, steering wheel. And one of my favorite things is they brought back the volume and tuning knob. It's not just the touchscreen. I know a lot of people out there were always complaining about, um, you know, it just being strictly touchscreen. So they brought back the tuning and volume knob. So both. Are really about that. So they basically have taken the 2-liter turbo and replaced the V6, and the 1.5 turbo replaces the old 2-liter. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. So this will be yeah, – so, so if, if that's true to course, where the old non-turbo 2-liter was the volume leader, were they saying that the 1.5 turbo, they expect that to be the volume leader? Yeah, they think that will be the volume leader. Yeah. yeah. Did you enjoy driving – the Accord to the extent that you would say maybe I'd be happier in this than I would, say, a pilot? Um, I mean, I, I did. I, I think, I don't know, you know, it, it's always so hard for me to go one way or the other, but I think I did enjoy um, in terms of, I think it's just a different buyer. I think that you're going to have a younger crowd going for this sedan, um, and for SUVs, you're just going to have somebody who just, I think it's more about space when it comes to the Pilot. There's, I mean, plenty of space in the Accord for your everyday needs, um, but I think something like the Pilot, um, I don't know. I I would definitely probably go with the Accord. Are they going to do a hybrid? Yeah, they are. So um, I think early 2018, they don't have any pricing on that right now, but early 2018 we did get a chance to get in a hybrid very briefly, um, did a quick loop, in the hybrid, another great car. Um, definitely, it was like pre-production, so it was very basic. 
Um, but hopefully we'll get that into a motor week lot when it comes out. We can give it a little more uh, test drive. But from what I saw on the quick drive that I did, uh, I, I'm just pretty impressed with the hybrid as well. Well, I've got you on the line and, and have you on the, uh, the fuel economy uh, kick a bit. Um, you're preparing an FYI segment about uh, uh, fuel economy information for uh, buyers that are just starting the process of uh, looking for a new car. Can you kind of give us some details of what that segment's going to cover and what you found during uh, your research? You know, when you think of buying a car, one of your first steps you think of is going to a dealership, but you can save a lot of time and a lot of money just by doing a lot of research ahead of time before you even hit the dealership lot. So we've been looking at a lot of, these are free websites, which is the greatest thing, um, and they're all websites, so you know they've got tried and true facts. Um, You've got like safercar.gov, where you can watch actual crash testing on vehicles that you're interested in. You've also got all of the ratings for any vehicle that you're interested in. And it's not just, you know, current model cars. They go back quite a few years. So if you're looking at a used vehicle, um, you can go and look up the safety ratings for these cars. Um, In terms of, like, fuel economy, if you're looking into stuff like that, you've got fueleconomy.gov. The one thing I really loved when looking at this website was you can compare cars. So say you were really interested in a Honda Accord, but... You were also thinking maybe uh, maybe a Camry. You can compare those side by side and look at the facts and figures for each one and maybe kind of see which one might be a better fit for you. You can map out trips as well. It can tell you, you know, from point A to point B, this is how much you're going to spend in gas. And, um, you know, we were just talking a second ago about hybrids. If you're looking into alternative fuel vehicles, they've all, the, the AFDC.energy.gov website, it really allows you to look at all kinds of alternative fuel sources, whether it be hydrogen, electric, uh, biofuel, um, and it, it maps out stations throughout the whole country. So if you were thinking, hey, I might be interested in an EV, um, it'll map out these many locations around you to charge up, to fuel up. Um, so just a lot of interesting websites that are out there that you can look into before you really even hit the dealership lot, which really preps you. Funny. Thing that might be thrown at you. And you don't have to wade through a lot of uh, commercials and so forth. It's all right there. It's, it's commercial it's free. All right there. You yeah, know, exactly. the, it's free. the one thing I like, uh, extra thing I like that they've added to fueleconomy.gov is you now can go on and see what actual people are getting for fuel economy versus what the uh, official EPA numbers are. Yeah, so a lot of times, um, you know, you would get estimates and, you know, it's always a little bit off. So that was one really cool thing is, is real live drivers, I mean, go in, put in, you know, their the exact model, make everything of their car and kind of give a rundown of, of what they're seeing in terms of their fuel economy, which is, I mean, the real world. So that was, I, I agree, that's a pretty interesting facet of the website. It's a good segment coming up for anybody that's either first time in the market for a new car or basically it's been seven to ten years since they bought one and a lot of information that, frankly, you're paying for, so why not take utilize it? We're going to switch now to our lightning round, and the format we're using these days is each panelist gets 30 seconds to weigh in a trending topic, although I won't guarantee that somebody like me won't interrupt. Uh, when time's up, you're going to hear the bell from Joe Ligo, our producer. Um, here we go. And, uh, Lauren, uh, we'll have you weigh in on this as well. A recent, right. a recent AAA study found that in-car infotainment systems – 
take the driver's eyes off the road and hands off the wheel for dangerous lengths of time, sometimes for more than 40 seconds at a time. Uh, study participants had to use touch screens and voice commands for t- tasks like changing the radio, programming navigation. Uh, AAA is using the research to help automakers design safer infotainment systems. Well, they're hoping they will. As professional car testers, what would we recommend automakers change to reduce distractive driving? Who would like to start? Just get down the line. Oh, yeah. I'll start. All right, Ben. I think obvious, the first obvious thing is we have to get away. Get, we have to get rid of touch volume, touch tuning. I mean, bring back the traditional, albeit boring, dials that adjust volume just like the accord just did that lauren was telling us about that one off the bat's a no-brainer um i'd like to see more of the steering wheel controls as well um nothing like the 90s pontiac version trans am style with the buttons and the horn but um i like the direction the fca takes in a lot of their products where you'll have a a channel button on the back but not only will go through your presets but will go just simply advanced channels as well which is is key fca does that that's a good idea greg pick Um, it up yeah to take that step further i would say um my personal favorite is using like the uh, iDrive system or mazda system or anything where your controller if you have to use a knob it's down right where your hand is near the shifter uh it at least keeps you from like moving forward and reaching over across the dash i would also say let's figure out this voice control system because it's still so cumbersome to use they never understand you somebody's got to hook up with amazon or somebody and think because i have an echo and it works great i can just talk casually to this thing and it understands everything i say that's got to be figured out i don't understand why we're so far behind in cars with using voice technology Autonomous driving is the way to go, man. That way we don't have to worry about being distracted at all. We just sit there and let the car drive us and touch whatever screens we want, whenever we want. I would like to say that we're using something we already have badly, and that is head-up displays. For sure. Uh, you know, right now they're still mostly in premium vehicles. And, and what's up there but speed and turn signal, stuff that barely is right below it on the instrument panel. Why don't we use that so when you use the steering wheel controls that you've been talking about or even the knobs, you get an instantaneous change of whatever you're dealing with up on the screen and you can see that and you're still looking straight ahead. We've got all the technology we need and we're not using it properly. I agree on voice control, but maybe that's never going to be perfect. And frankly, a lot of people are just not using it. But it can, I, the, what I'm saying it is it can be because there's other I people agree. who can do I it, agree. right? You know, you're talking about Siri and so forth. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But then, you have, but f- then you have the man listening on your I don't even care, man. He's listening anyway. If Am- yeah. I mean, I, here, I, I love Amazon so much. They can be Skynet for all I care. And I don't <laughs> Lauren, swear. Lauren, save us. <laughs> I, I mean, I agree with Ben and Greg. I mean, I think first off, knobs. That's just it's just what's gonna happen. It's the best. It's the, it's the most useful. It's the easiest. Yeah, it might not look the best, but it's the easiest to navigate through. Um, and then voice command. I I don't think I've ever been in a vehicle where I'm like, oh, this has been great. This has been a great voice command experience. I think it just needs to get better, and uh, that would be a easy fix. They have to be able to understand conversation. It's not like. 
pick one of the ten things on the screen yeah. and say it. You know. Yeah. yeah. I'm, a, I'm a really even-tempered guy, but I've punched steering wheels over that <laughs> stuff before. <laughs> if they could read our brains, then they wouldn't even have to talk to it, right? Oh, maybe they that's just know the where we want to go. Just wear one of those halos. Yeah. Oh, thanks, everybody. Okay, Bruce is here with a question, and Ben, I'm going to have this. Uh, you answer this sure. first, and maybe Greg, you can chime in. Yeah. I noticed your recent episode of the Hyundai Ionic Hybrid. And the test track ratings, uh, acceleration, so forth. I just wanted to know, do you typically run the acceleration test with the car in normal normal mode, sport mode, or eco mode? Talking about the various driving modes on the various cars we test, which change throttle response and steering yeah, and so definitely. forth. definitely. Go ahead. I will try normal mode, but... It- and but tech, I would say typically sport mode. It just sharpens up your. It holds your gears longer, and um, and in, we're after the fastest time. Sure, where it becomes a, a blurred situation is when you have multi-sport modes, where you have a sport and a sport plus mode, and a, a full-on race mode. I find it in situations like that where sometimes if sport plus is the highest, sport is usually a little better to to launch in because it. Uh, doesn't allow as much uh, wheel spin as a sport plus mode or a track tuned mode would mm. allow. So, yeah, also that's with, where it gets uh, a little. Suspen- if it's suspension, you get a little more weight transfer to the rear on in non-sport mode, which helps you launch. Yeah. Right. So uh, the answer generally, if there is a sport mode, you go for that, even if there's something even sportier like sport yeah. well, plus. Definitely yeah. not. Yeah. It depends. We do it enough times of that you can pretty much just dial it into whatever gives you the best time. Yeah, I think Try when I used to go up there more, you know, the first run is just everything in normal, and that's your baseline, and then you just keep trying to take time off that, right. whether it's sport modes or launching at different RPMs. You go through everything. Yeah, traction yeah. control. Yeah. Tell me if I'm wrong. That's for the track. When I get into a vehicle here that, you know, has been here and a variety of drivers have been in it, nine times out of ten, it seems to be set into eco mode. Is that your experience? Hmm. That's probably a lot of stuff. A lot of things. Ron default. or Joe must have been driving. That's, <laughs> the only people that would put it in uh, eco mode. Okay. I found that makes uh, it a little bit more rubbery. That giant G wagon that we just had in oh. that would default you to eco mode every time you turn there the key. There you go. That could be the answer. Of course, that's the that's probably the one vehicle that you need eco mode in more than any other. Any rat and raves this week? Anybody got something that's sticking in their craw? I already ranted about the whole voice control thing. Um, that was a good one. This is, I don't know whether it's a rant or rave. I was lucky enough to spend two weeks driving in um, Europe lately, and mostly Germany, so I won't say all of Europe. Um, and it was, you're on the Autobahn, you're driving very, very fast. It was an absolute pleasure to be able to drive fast knowing that, the drivers ahead of you were also being very diligent, were paying attention to the road, were staying to the right so that you never had issues of passing, that the trucks weren't sitting in the left lane just because they felt like it. And you were forced, and I liked it, to use your mirrors because no matter how fast you're going, somebody's coming up from behind you going much faster. I, I will say you felt a little bit more fatigued when it was over because you were having to pay much more attention. But you also felt much more secure. So this whole thing about, hey, speed is the worst enemy, speed is not the worst enemy in this country when we drive. It's other drivers. If the drivers are better, 
and adhering to the road, you know, to a, a, a logical set of, uh, of road rules, uh, it can be a much more pleasurable experience and go much faster. It was, uh, it was quite yeah. uh, exhilarating. We've talked this one to death, but, um, again, I was talking to somebody on a recent press event, and the, I think one of the biggest problems that people have to get over is you have to realize that you're, it's not your job to police other drivers. I think I some like people blocking the left. Exactly. Lane. I think some people can get into this mindset where they think, well, I don't. Okay, sure. The person behind you might be driving like a jerk, but it's not up to you to make sure that they stop driving like a jerk. Just make get out of the way. Do, your job is to keep traffic flowing. So let the police police the road, and you just worry about making sure everything rides smoothly <laughs> and safely. Because otherwise, you end up with road rage. Uh, yeah. Did you see the recent? Did you see the recent one where that dude jumped on the front of the bus? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was insane. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anything in Florida that uh, basically makes you want to scream at the cars around you? Uh, no, nothing, nothing, nothing lately. Um, nah, we've just been getting through all these hurricanes. So really, that's all. You know, I have. That doesn't have anything to do with driving. So. Well, have have you started to see any water damaged cars popping up down there? Or is it too early? No, but I know we've done segments in the past on that, you know, with Katrina and everything like that. But I haven't. I don't think anybody. We're. I think everybody's just getting back up and running. But I'm sure between you know the hurricanes here, the hurricane in, over in Texas, I'm sure that water damaged vehicles are going to be flooding the market. So uh, I know Goss has done a segment on. In the past, I'm checking, you know, and making sure, seeing, you know, if you're going to buy a used car. Definitely some stuff on our website to check out if you are, uh, in the coming months, going to buy a used car. Do a title check, everybody, or you'll be ranting and raving about, uh, about what you bought. Thanks, Lauren, for joining us by phone. Thanks for everyone around our table. Brian Robinson, Ben Davis, Greg Carlos. Our Motor Week podcast number 168 (laughs) comes to a close with a thanks to Jim Bigwood, our audio engineer, and our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. I'm John Davis for all of us at Motor Week. Thanks for listening, watching, and just being a faithful part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, State Farm, and WeatherTech. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.